Good morning, and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. It's Men's Month, and today we are doing pelvic health. And we have MJ from Gateway Physiotherapy back again for your third show, MJ. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. I was just having a sip of coffee. (laughs) Yes, third show. (laughs) And and we hope more after this, but, but today specifically about men. And uh, please feel free to go back into boys. Yes. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, that's fine. So yeah, cover, covering that. everything for male. First, am I, c- can I start with a question? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, uh, oh, MJ, we should slow down in case people haven't heard your other shows. Absolutely. So first of all, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is MJ, and I am a physiotherapist who does work in what we call pelvic health. And pelvic health is um, kind of a specialization that physiotherapists will do to help treat men, women, children who have bladder problems, bowel problems, and what we call pelvic pain problems. Uh, So pelvic pain could be pain basically from your belly button down to your knees, uh, in the front of your pelvis, back of the pelvis, and inside of your pelvis. And that can affect everybody of all genders and of all ages. Um, and it's important to say genders too, because we often forget that we have people who definitely identify in other genders as well, right? And that's a whole other category because um, there's a lot of work being done in pelvic health with people who are transitioning from one gender to another. And I have a, a friend of mine in Toronto who does that type of work as well. So we can't just speak men, women, children. We have to talk about all types of genders as well. So pelvic health physiotherapist, that's what we do. We work in that domain, and I've been doing that for 20 years here in North Bay at Gateway Physio, and that's all I do. I don't really do kind of your typical orthopedic physio anymore. Uh, and uh, and now, too, I teach uh, in Canada for physiotherapists and nurse practitioners and physicians who want to get a little bit of training in pelvic health. So I'm part of a group called Pelvic Health Solutions, and I teach with them as well, which has been a lot of fun. I've been doing that for the last three to four years now. So in each of your other podcasts, I think we put up links to some like to the site yeah. so that as people are listening to this in other locations across Canada or whatever, that if they're looking for a pelvic physiotherapist, they can go on that site. And I think you had mentioned in the other shows too, that um, it lists what their specialties are, what extra courses that they've taken. Yeah, on the Pelvic Health Solutions website, what's really good is you can find a physiotherapist in your area. We have them listed um, for all of Canada, and I think we're starting to list for the U.S. as well. And when you find someone in your area, what you can do is you can actually click on their name, and it'll tell you all the courses they've done. It'll tell you if they treat men, women, and or children. Um, again, so you can kind of pick the right physiotherapist for your needs. And and that's really fantastic. So it's a really great resource. Lots of good information on that website as well in terms of just answering questions people may have but are too kind of embarrassed to maybe ask their doctor. They can actually just read up on it on that website as well. Does it have diagrams to explain what the pelvis and the muscles are and how they're connected to the knees and the back? There's not a lot of actually pictures per se but a lot of good explanations okay um so but less less images in that sense and that's probably something we can probably improve upon on that website is to maybe add some images for people who are very visual and who are trying to kind of figure out what this whole pelvic area looks like do you if you have a good picture for males um that shows that that you might use in your teaching do you think we could have that so that we could put it up with your podcast today no I can I I actually have a few ideas of something that I can kind of provide so people can have a visual um, as to what this area looks like and what these particular muscles uh, look like because it's hard you can't you can't see these muscles they're inside your body inside your pelvis for both men and women and um, so it's really hard for people to kind of gain an understanding of where these muscles are located, right? Well, I think that's fair because some people are going already into physiotherapy for something. So they may have had a surgery and the doctor has recommended physio and they go to a general physiotherapist, not understanding that they need to see a pelvic physiotherapist and that there's actually a difference between physios. Absolutely. And and that goes for all sorts of physio. I mean, there's physios who work with children and there's physios who work with athletes at the Olympic level. And there's physios like myself who decided to do pelvic health 
and we all should work well together. And, uh, you know, and, and the good thing now is that there's a lot more pelvic health physiotherapists than there was even five years ago, right? There's a lot more. So it's definitely much more uh, available than it was. And people are talking a little bit more about it than they did. Uh, and so that's improving, definitely. So you're more likely now if you go see an orthopedic physio uh, because of a back injury, that if you're reporting other symptoms, like if you mention to them, oh, and also um, I cough, I sneeze, and I, I lose a bit of bladder control, you're more likely now that that physiotherapist will say, oh, by the way, that can get looked after. And I have a few colleagues that I know who treat pelvic health problems, and you should probably go see them. So we've made huge gains in the last four years. The doctors are also more aware of pelvic health physiotherapy, which is great. Uh, the urologist, the gynecologist, everybody kind of involved um, are definitely more aware. And so I think now there's more likelihood that you're going to be sent to a pelvic health physiotherapist. So given all the gains that you've just talked about, uh, and obviously there's been more education uh, from other professionals who are knowing how to refer to you, what kind of trend have you seen in your practice um, with regards to, as you said, all genders? Well, I definitely see that... People are definitely more willing to ask their doctors to go see a pelvic health physio. Whereas probably for when I started 20 years ago, it was the doctors who would maybe ask the questions to some people. Um, But women and men were not asking for these services because they didn't even know it existed. Nowadays, because of the internet, because of social media, and because there's more of us out there, I see that women and men and people of all genders will go to their doctor and say, I want to go see a pelvic health physiotherapist because you need, you need a referral for your insurance. A lot of times you need a doctor's note. Um, and so they'll ask, you know, for that. So I think that's improved. And I think that's because of social media and because of access to information and good information now too, and good websites available. Um, you had mentioned for insurance purposes. So mm-hmm. I don't have insurance. Um, so do, uh, and I'm just asking generally, you know, I already know the answer, but, uh, if you're not covered under insurance, can I just ring up your center and make an appointment? Absolutely. Yeah. You don't need to. So if you have insurance and your insurance company requests that you have a doctor's note to go seek physiotherapy, then you have to do so. Uh, but a lot of insurance companies don't, some do. And if you pay out of your pocket, then you don't, you can just call the, any office of any physiotherapist in Canada and make an appointment. Every province has some little, you know, discrepancies, but it's pretty much quite similar everywhere you go in the U S and other countries. I can't make comment to that, but in Canada, that's how it works. So MJ, um, I'm going to offer something. You can correct me if I'm, if I mean, if I'm wrong, uh, for the sake of doing this show for men's month, is it okay to refer to people who identify as male? Yes. Is that okay? Yeah. Cause that's who we're wanting to focus on. Cause you've, you've yeah. done shows with pelvic health and how, um, women uh, show their symptoms and, and what kind of pain that they they go through. Um, so today our intention was to bring you in to talk about what males experience, um, maybe prior to even looking you up, uh, and then what they're experiencing in the actual session itself. So people who identify as male is appropriate? Yes, okay, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, so when we're talking about men and pelvic health, I think what we have to remember is that we're not really that much different anatomically. So when we're talking about the pelvic floor muscles, and we spoke about that in the past podcast for women, you know, we identify that that muscle starts from your pubic bone in the front and goes all the way back to your tailbone. Well, it's the same in men. It starts at their pubic bone. It goes all the way back to the tailbone. There's a couple of little differences, you know, in terms of um, the structure of like one muscle, but really it's the same. So think of it like a sling front to back. And we talked with women that, yeah, Sorry, what's that? Is that levator ani or something? Levator ani, yeah. Oh levator my ani. god! Yeah, that's the that's one of the terms for a particular group of muscle, the pelvic yep. floor, and uh, yeah. So the pelvic floor is like a generic term, and then levator ani is a group of muscle that's part of your pelvic floor. There's other muscles also on top of that, and uh, but when you hear levator ani, we're talking about the pelvic floor. Can I jump in for just yeah, a sec? Yeah. Okay, so that's the one that was spasming spasming in me. Yes. Uh, about 10 or 11 years ago, when I ended up in Emerge in an ambulance from my house, I literally could not function. I couldn't work. I couldn't walk. I was in a fetal position. Mm. And when I got to the, and of course, I didn't know that when I got to the hospital by ambulance on, on the board, 
um, the, the doctor sent me away because they couldn't find anything. And I wanted to explain that. The, and, and this is not blaming anybody. They simply couldn't find anything in the x-ray or any of the tests that they could do there. And so the doctor's comment was, was that I was just trying to get my husband's attention and that I should just go home and um, stop pretending. And that's exactly what was said to my face in front of my husband, um, which does not set up for a nice going home event, by the way. But I was in so much pain. I ended up seeing several physios before I was referred to you. And when I was referred to you, when you did the pelvic exam, that pain, and this is, I want to explain it this way, went down my legs, Mm -hmm. it went up my back, right up to my neck. So the pain radiated from that those pelvic floor muscles that you're talking about that are that hold that girdle. MJ, I felt like all of my insides were going to fall out of me. It's it's really and it's hard because there's really no test that doctors can do that really shows you what's happening to the muscle unless they do an MRI and even an MRI will only show like a tear. But it doesn't show muscle tension. It doesn't show muscle spasms. That's something you feel. And if you don't know how to palpate the pelvic floor, then yeah, it can definitely be missed. And there's not many, you know, doctors in Emerge, and most of this because it's time. It, they're so busy um, that will do that exam, and a lot of not a lot of them are not even trained to do so. And so yeah, you can see why it would be very much dismissed and and it's unfortunate because I think that it does happen a lot to both men and women and then you start thinking you're going crazy because you're feeling this pain in this part of your body and then nobody is validating that pain that you felt and basically telling you that you're faking which is really really unfortunate because just because you can't see it just because you can't point to it doesn't mean that it's not real and it doesn't mean it's not happening and I always tell people why would you fake pain in that particular area of your body anyways. You know, it's it's nonsensical. I think we need to believe people when they tell us they have pain, even if we don't understand where that pain is coming from. Well, and that was the confusing part because for me, it was, I, I didn't register or could I say to the doctor or nurse that it was, it was that deep inside deep me. Inside, yeah. The only thing that I knew at that point was that I had pain in my back and in my legs. I couldn't identify that it even was pelvic pain. Yeah, it's yeah, because it, it can be very diffuse. It can be very diffuse. So if we go back to what the pelvic floor can do or what it does, I mean, we know because we've talked about it in the past po- podcast, it holds up your insides. So it holds up your organs. So for women, that means that it holds up your bladder and your uterus and your rectum. And at men, it holds up their bladder and their rectum. So it has that supportive role. It will tighten so that you don't leak urine or feces. And that you can jump and yell and laugh and cry and, and squat and bench press and you don't lose any bladder control, both men and women. So it relaxes so that she can go to the bathroom to pass uh, urine and to have a bowel movement. For women, it has to relax to give birth, right? It has to stretch to give birth. And it's part of your core. So it works with your stomach muscles, your back muscles, and your breathing muscles, your diaphragm as part of, you know, when we talk about core strengthening, it's part of your core. And it could be a source of pain. So like any other muscle in your body, it can be in a state of tension for different reasons. And we can talk about that. And that will cause pain and discomfort because it's physically attached to your whole bottom of your pelvis. Your pelvis is big. You know, your pubic bone to your tailbone, if you can kind of visualize if you're sitting in a chair, you know, there's enough space between that pubic bone and that tailbone, even between your sit bones. So it's a big muscle and it's attached physically to your spine and it's also partly attached to your your hips. So if I go back, because I remember stories um, of the pads that my mom's generation had to wear. Is, is that roughly how long? Yes. It, yeah. You can kind of visualize okay. the pad. Yeah. Because I'm thinking yeah. of the, the, and then I don't want to single anyone out, but the demographic of people who listen um, are a little bit kind of in her age category and they, right. they'd be able to visualize just how long. Yep. Absolutely. So it's a lot bigger than you, than we imagine it to be. It's just, the problem is that it's, it's inside your body and you can't see it and you can't feel it. And even if you have pain, you may not necessarily feel it. Like Karen was saying was happening with her. It was portraying itself as being back pain. Um, because if you're, if you're tense in that area, 
the pain can, can travel. Just like when you have a heart attack, your arm hurts, but it's a problem with your heart, right? So pain can travel from any organ in your body and any muscle in your, in your body. So if you can, if you have migraines, it could be a a muscle that's very tight in your neck, but you're going to have jaw pain or the back of your eye hurts. But the problem could be like the top of your shoulder. So the pelvic floor is the same thing. If, if there's any tension in that pelvic floor, for whatever reason, it can give you hip pain and back pain, right? Or pain down your leg. And some people they'll have pain in their genitalia. So they'll say things like, I have pain in my rectum. I have tailbone pain. Women will say, I have, like, my vagina hurts, right? They can be very, oh, my clitoris hurts. So my men who come in who have pelvic pain will say things like, I have back pain, I have hip pain, but you know what? I have pain at the tip of my penis or I have testicular pain. Uh, And so, or I have pain with an erection or pain with ejaculation because the other thing that I didn't talk about is that these are also the muscles you use for sexual function. So for women, that means that we use these muscles to be able to have an orgasm. But for men, these muscles is what helps to maintain an erection. And it's what helps them ejaculate because these muscles tighten up to keep blood in the penis so they can maintain an erection. And then these muscles tighten to be able to ejaculate. So that's really important because, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're going to have children and some people do want to have children. And so that's normal function of the, of the penis. But if you have tension in that muscle to begin with and then you try to have you know intercourse with your partner and that creates even more tension that can actually be very painful I was going to ask you when you were talking about the muscles needing to relax earlier too now that we're into the sexual stuff as well um for men during intercourse um does that mean that if they're having anal sex that those muscles also have to be able to relax. They have to be able to relax to allow something in. in. Yes. And then the other thing too is for all of us, after intercourse, the muscles also have to relax. And what happens to some people is they'll say, I have pain with intercourse for women. I have pain with an erection, pain with ejaculation, but then the pain can last. It can linger after for a certain amount of time as well because it's almost like the muscles have a hard time letting go after. And and that's really, really challenging. Can there be a difference between men's pain if they're, if they're having intercourse versus if they're just masturbating? Like can they have one pain or pain with one and not the other? I would, I, yes, I guess that could be. I, but I, generally I would say that most of the comments my men will make to me when I ask them to kind of tell me either or is that it's very similar. It'll be testicular pain, penile pain. So general. Yeah, pain at the okay. tip of the penis and, and, and maybe pain post. Uh, so, you know, and that's a, that's a big part of the problem. The other thing that often men will describe to me, and this is like straight across every man will use these terms, will say, I feel like I'm sitting on a golf ball. And and, and that's it's very specific, the golf ball. And that's tension in the pelvic floor as well. So, so when they say they're sitting on a golf ball, do they mean like in their bum area yeah, or down in the test? No, it's more rectally. It's kind of like, oh. I feel like there's a golf ball in there, right? Oh. And uh, so what happens with, with men, the, the problem is that when they develop pain in that area and they go see their doctor, the common diagnosis is a prostate infection because a prostate infection does happen. And it reproduces the same symptoms. So they'll have um, pain in their testes. They can have penile pain. They can have pain at the tip of the penis. They can have pain with an erection, pain with ejaculation. They'll have difficulty uh, going to the bathroom. Okay, so when you have the prostate, what's important to know is the prostate goes around the, the urethra. So the urethra, the tube that you pee through, goes right through the prostate. So if the prostate is inflamed... And swells, it blocks the urethra. So men will say, like, I'm trying to go to the bathroom to 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 void, and nothing comes out, and it can be very painful as well. So all of those symptoms also imitate a prostate infection. So when you go to the doctor, the doctor will say, Okay, well, that sounds like a prostate infection, so I'm gonna put you on an antibiotic. And the problem becomes when the antibiotic doesn't resolve the pain. And then they go back and they get put on another antibiotic. And that doesn't necessarily resolve the pain. And then they go on another antibiotic. 
And then after a while, the doctors go, well, okay, well, these, this is not working. So therefore it may not be an infection. So I don't know what's happening. And men do fall through the cracks a little bit more. I think we've done a really good job of promoting women's health in the last 10 years or so and really highlighting pelvic health for women. But I think we've forgotten that men have pelvic floors as well. And everything gets blamed on the prostate. And when it's not, they fall through the cracks. God. Um, I just want to go back before you started talking about prostate. Um, can they also have sensitivity in the skin? Around the genitalia? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, they can. Because I'm just thinking maybe someone, if this is a beginning symptom and hasn't really associated with the pelvic floor, like can there be sensitivity in the skin of the penis instead of the the actual, the whole organ? Absolutely. Yeah, all of that stuff can happen, you know, and I always tell people, even though it seems like maybe a strange sensation feeling that you're describing, it's real, right? So if you say to me, I have sensitivity of the skin on the penis, then absolutely you do. And if you think about how the body works, I mean, there's a lot of nerves in that area of the body. It's a very sensitive area of our body. We have a lot of great blood flow to that area of the body. So if there's anything that's under tension and it alters your blood flow and it alters and and creates tension, then nerves and all that can get affected. You can get all sorts of symptoms like sensitivity, uh, burning sensation, even itchiness in that area. And all of that can be because of tension in those pelvic floor muscles. Um, so yeah, any of that can happen. Thank you. I, I want to ask you about the session. Are you like the session when they come in to when see you in? or would you like to continue talking about how pain presents first? Cause I don't want to rush this. Can I ask one question about this, what you're yeah. asking or talking about now? We're talking about men, but can, is this something that can be broadened into the area of teenage boys and all or young men, but also ch- male children? Or is this where you're seeing it more in adults? So I would say there are, you know, I treat children. And I think that's, again, another area that's underserviced. I don't think that children are being referred to pelvic health as much as they should. And again, children, whether female or male, can have pelvic floor problems from a young age. What typically we'll see in men, in in young boys and young girls is bladder issues, right? So that can happen. So it's normal for children to be potty trained by the time, you know, they're two or three. Boys can take a little longer, but, you know, usually by the time they go to school, most kids are potty trained. There are children who can continue to have problems with bladder control up until the age of 10 and sometimes into their teenage years. So I've seen a lot of boys and little girls who have bladder issues or bladder control issues um, that can kind of linger into their teenage years. So that happens. So that's where I wanted you to go is with, into the questions where if a mom or a dad are listening to this and a child has bedwetting or they go to school and they have accidents and they, and I know sometimes there's an emotional component as well, mm. but I, what I wanted to highlight or to have you at least address a little bit today is that it can be something that should be checked out by a pelvic specialist. Absolutely. I mean, we do look at there are kids that it just takes a little longer for their bladder control to get there. But usually I would say, you know, by the age of seven or eight, if there's still some bedwetting at night and difficulty that way, then absolutely there needs to be a referral to go see a pelvic health physiotherapist. And then you have to find somebody who's done some pediatric courses, right? That has worked with children and yeah, and it can all get, you know, fixed as well. And there's a lot of different scenarios where kids have bedwetting issues. And definitely there is an emotional component for some kids. Constipation is a big problem for a lot of kids. And that goes back to our, our poor diet, you know, and our, um, you know, in our busy lives, we tend to eat a lot of junk food and, you know, we kids get plugged up. And when kids get constipated, that affects their bladder function as well. And some kids just sleep really soundly. I mean, there's a couple of kids I've treated where their biggest problem is they're just when they're sleeping, they are not waking up. And so there's things like little pads you can put in their bed that actually vibrates to wake them up at nights to kind of retrain their brain to wake them up enough that they can go to the bathroom. So there's great treatment for children as well. So that happens equally between boys and girls. And when it comes to pain, again, children are not absolved from experiencing any kind of pain, um, pelvic pain being one of them. And I think, again, there's a lot of work being done on, on really looking at the idea that we may not be very good at helping children who are having any type of chronic pain. And that includes pelvic pain. So I have had a few children come to see me, male and female, 
you know, from the age of 12 to 18 who've had pelvic pain. And for girls, again, that could be kind of like vaginal pain or pain in their genitalia. And for boys, again, it could be that kind of penile pain and testicular pain um, that can be caused by the pelvic floor. And again, there's different reasons. There's different things that can set off tension in the pelvic floor. Because this is the question I get all the time. Why is it that my pelvic floor is causing me to have discomfort? And that's a tough question because it could be so many different things. So it yeah. Can it be something like um, if I'm a hockey player and I'm the goalie and I'm always in a squat? Oh, absolutely. It could be. So it could be as simple as a fall, right? You can fall off your bike. You know, if you think about falling on your handlebars, you know, like on the bar between, like in front of your bike, it could be any kind of direct fall on your tailbone, any fall on your pelvis. That happens to everyone. So I'll often say, so where, where do you think, when did you think your pain started? And people say, I had a fall three years ago. You know, I went sliding and I fell, right? Or I played hockey and I fell or I fell off my bike, you know? So there could be actually physical trauma that can happen. There could be indirect trauma from past surgeries. So if you had to have any kind of pelvic surgery and the, the surgeons had to go into that pelvic area, that could be causing some tension because sometimes after surgery, we're tight. We're just stiff, right? Would that include like an appendix? Uh, possibly. Possibly. Okay. I would say anything belly button down, you know, could potentially cause tension. And it makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, if you went in for knee surgery, you don't come out of knee surgery walking easily on your knee. You know, you have to go to physio, you got to stretch your knee, you got to do your exercise as well. The pelvic floor is not is, is, is a muscle like any other muscle. So if there's any surgery in that area, that muscle could be less flexible. It could be a little bit more tight and it needs to be stretched and it needs to be treated like any other muscle. So surgery could be one thing. And well, then it can also happen because you've had an infection. So you might have had a prostate infection. You might have had a urinary tract infection. And when you have an infection, it hurts. And you can almost, you know, everybody's had a, you know, I think everybody's had a UTI that's probably listening. When you have a bladder infection, you can almost remember feeling how much tension you have and how much you don't want to go pee because you know it's going to hurt. Well, what you're tightening up is your pelvic floor, right? And so it makes a lot of sense that that muscle is going to tighten up because it hurts. It hurts to pee or in things like that. So that can happen. And it can happen with hemorrhoids. Well, hemorrhoids and fissures, like rectal fissures. So if every time you go for a bowel movement and you have a hemorrhoid or you have a fissure, you do not want to go for a bowel movement. It hurts. So the pelvic floor, what it does is your brain knows that that's going to hurt. And so it sends a signal to those muscles and says, tighten up because we don't want to poop right now. It's going to hurt to poop. And so you hold it in. And then these muscles get really tight. And then you're trying to have a bowel movement. And it hurts quite a bit because that muscle's not letting go. So hemorrhoids and fissures and infections, all of that can create tension in your pelvic floor as well. I think it's important to, uh, to I feel like I'm going backwards lots because you just have so many good, good points. Um, it's so important to educate starting at such a young age on proper anatomy. Because if we're talking about children, um, if you don't know what to call a part of your body, how do you walk up to a parent and say, this hurts? Especially if it's internal. But if we had diagrams, if we had health classes where you know we, we had to look at and label these things and develop a vocabulary for them, when your mom says, well, what hurts? And they can say, That's well, my bum, but it's inside. You know, even, even at a young age, there's at least a little bit more articulation so that a parent would know what to do for their child. Or who to direct them to. Yeah, and that's that is really important. And again, we have a lot of room to improve on that because again, I don't think that's taught. It'll be interesting to see with a new curriculum in Ontario for sex education if they're gonna do a little bit more education on the actual parts of the body in more I detail. Hope. I don't know. I haven't seen the curriculum, but I'd like to hope that as well. But it is definitely lacking. And I'll tell you, it's lacking because I see it in adults when I explain and and when patients come in I do a lot of explanations I use a lot of diagrams and I'm also very surprised at how many adults are not aware of those parts right and so I make a point with everybody no matter what educational background you have of really going through the anatomy so that I go through okay this is your urethra this is where your prostate sits this is your rectum these are your pelvic floor muscles and so I don't assume that you know because sometimes people will not tell me they don't know because, you know, some people maybe feel embarrassed. So my, my education is the same for everyone. 
even nurses, even doctors, you know, whoever comes to see me, I say, okay, let's review the anatomy, but I go through it for everyone because there's a big lack, even in adults. So we do need to do a better job. And I think that'll help too, because if kids have pain in that area, it'll be easier for the doctors to kind of identify maybe what's happening. And if all the tests come back negative and it's not an infection and he didn't have a fall, then they can probably say, okay, then that might be a pelvic floor problem and we'll send you to see a physiotherapist who works in this area. And, and kids can be treated. I mean, again, there's the different, the treatment is no different. Um, what I would do to an adult and to a teenager, um, you know, is very, very similar in terms of stretching and all that kind of stuff and teaching them to learn how to relax their pelvic floor or tighten the pelvic floor if they have bladder problems or relax their pelvic floor if they have tension problems. It depends on what they're presenting with. So MJ, because we're talking so much about masculinity, uh, or the perception of it. I'm really curious to know how you approach your male clients at at any age, uh, how that conversation goes before you start the, the I'll say the physical contact, uh, and how, how you kind of, I don't know, prep them, protect their masculinity. Um, what, what does that look like? It's interesting because I think men are used to disrobing quite a bit when they go to the doctors and they have I think this expectation that I'm going to check their prostate you know which is not in my scope of practice so I'm not trained to check a prostate so what I tell my men when they come in and explain to me all their symptoms they explain to me what's happening um, they describe to me what their goals are you know what their expectations of treatment what they'd like me to help them with then I go through the this is what I do and this is what we're going to look at and this is why and I think once I go through that explanation, they're very much at ease because I explain everything before we do any exam. And, and like I said, that goes, that goes through anatomy, talk about the muscles, and we talk about what my role is. And my role is to examine the state of the muscles, right? And, and, you know, are they too tight and that's giving you pain? Are they a little bit weak? And that's why you're having bladder control problems. And then for my men, just like my women, it's all about privacy and um, making them feel at ease and very comfortable. So when my room is set up, I have nice comfortable sheets on the bed. There's no plastic paper. They have a sheet to cover themselves up and actually a nice fleece blanket on top of that. So they're completely covered up. So when I walk back into the room, they're not exposed. And for men, I don't need to see their private parts because the muscle's inside. So they're completely covered up. So there's no need for me to look at any genitalia right because the muscles are inside the body so if they had any concern about you know is MJ gonna look at my penis and on my testicles I don't I don't need to see any of those I mean I've had some men who've said can you can you look at something I think I might have like a rash or something that's fine I can kind of look and say yep you need to go back to your doctor you know that looks like a rash or something but really men are completely covered up just like my women are covered up and that gives you that sense of security and dignity and uh, privacy and, and really the exam is, is really comfortable because, you know, if I ask my patients, how did that feel compared to what you were expecting? They'll often say, well, that's a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Because the idea of having an internal exam for anybody is not great. Women don't like to have pap exams. Men don't like to have rectal exams. But a, a pelvic health physiotherapist's approach is very different. We're, when we know somebody's coming in and they're coming in because they're in pain, our job is not to cause more pain. Our job is to get rid of the pain. So our approach is very gentle. And like I said, it is not my job to go look at the prostate. So, and that's very uncomfortable for men to begin with. I don't look at that. I'm just looking at the state of tension in your body. And if somebody is too uncomfortable to me to do an internal exam that first day, I don't do it. I wait until they're ready for me to do an exam. And that can take a few visits and that's okay. In a private room. In a private room where the door is closed, with its own bathroom, where nobody can kind of hear you, and uh, and that's really important. With the option of locking or not having the door locked, some people don't like the door locked because I think some people, depending on their history and depending on their story, need like an ability to escape, right? There's control, right? So if you've had a history of trauma, you may not like the idea of having a locked door. So I'll often ask, you know, do you want the door locked or not locked? Um, you know, so I mean, so we, so I ask if I see someone's really uncomfortable 
and maybe they're not really willing to share a lot of details about why they're uncomfortable that first date. Because again, you know, on the first date, it's hard to trust people, right? And I'll say, what can I do to make you more comfortable today for this exam? And I let them have control over that session. And that's perfectly fine. Do you, I don't know if I'm going to ask this question properly, but I know that we've talked in the past about um, you being a listener to a lot of your clients and just hearing their story, which you've, you've just mentioned. Do you feel that there's a difference between men and women with the amount of shame in which they, they tell their story? I would say that once you allow people to talk and you leave them that opportunity, they talk. Like, I don't think I've had anybody not talk if they felt safe to talk. And I've had other people who it takes them a one or two visits to talk equally between men and women. I don't think I've seen a big difference, but you have to give them that opportunity. And I think they, neither men or women are often given the opportunity to tell mm-hmm. their story. So when you allow that to happen, yeah, usually the floodgates open and they, and they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically, I know back in when I was studying psychology, women tend to talk about the experience and talk more about what they felt in, and I'll say it during their story and men talk more about facts, what happened and they don't elaborate on what I felt. And if, if we're going through this whole month talking about the emotional component, the mental and the physical component, it's, it's still relevant. Right. And so I'm just wondering if you get more facts of, of stories or if it's, this is how I felt about it as well. No, I think you're right. I think there's definitely a lot of facts, but I find that when I end up saying to, again, both men and women equally is that was really a difficult experience. Thank you for sharing that with me. How did that make you feel? Like I'll tend to, so I tend to do that equally between both men and women. And so I think because I allow them to elaborate and I say things like, how did that make you feel? Then I think then men are able to Maybe not easily, but they're able to try to describe their feelings in that moment, but I'm giving them permission to do so. And I do it equally between both because again, I don't want to not give neither the opportunity to, to elaborate on what that made them feel. It's not easy. And maybe that's not necessarily a conversation to have the first day. Maybe that happens after two to three visits because like I said, you need to be able to trust the person in front of you and trust takes time. And some people have had their trust taken away from them so significantly that it may take a few sessions. And, and that, and again, that's okay. You know, if it takes two, three, four visits before finally you tell me what's happened to you and why and how frustrated you are and how upset you are, then that's okay. You know, and, uh, and it takes time to build that trust. I think many pelvic floors for both men and women can hold tension because of the anger and the hurt. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. And then this goes back to talking about past experiences and going back to, you know, where do you think this pain all started? You know, especially if you never had an infection, if you've never had a physical fall, if you've never had a trauma, if you've never had surgery and people are like, I don't understand why I would have tension, then I'll, I'll, I'll very gently suggest, well, is there any issues with you know, have you had any problems with anxiety and uh, any issues with depression, you know, or I'll talk very broadly and I'll say, you know, we do know that the pelvic floor plays a really fantastic job at protecting and it'll protect if you have an infection, it'll protect if you fail, but also protect you if you're stressed and it'll protect you if you're anxious. And sometimes for people who have had a history of trauma, however you want to define trauma, we do know that that pelvic floor goes goes under tension. Is that something that you think might have affected you? Because, you know, again, you know, people have PTSD, they may not be willing to talk about that the first day, nor do they think they can talk about that to a physio because we're not psychologists, right? We're not social workers. So again, it's giving them an opportunity to vocalize, yes, this has happened to me. Um, and this has created trauma in my past and that's relevant for my condition. Again, it's not to say that all pelvic floor issues are all about trauma, but for some people that could be their story. And so that's important. And again, it goes back to listening to see if we can kind of pick up on little cues that sometimes makes me go, "Mm, I wonder, I wonder, because we can have people also who've had trauma who don't remember their trauma. 
And, and that's challenging because you might see it in your patients that there may be something that's brewing, but they're not aware of it again. And, and that's, that's a challenge. Maybe it'll come up later. Maybe they'll start to have some memories of things that have happened in the past, which is why I have to work with a lot of social workers and psychologists very closely because that's their area of expertise. So if I pick up on any issues that way that I think they need extra help, then I have to refer out because that's not my job as a physiotherapist, but I have to recognize if it's happening. And you also have to recognize that you are one of the listeners. That's right. And it doesn't mean that you're trying to replace the other professionals, but you still are equally as important because you are a listener. I think it has to start with someone listening. So then that the referrals can be sent out to the appropriate people. And then we have to work as a team. It's also about working as a team to help people who have any type of pain. And if that pain is wrapped up in trauma, if that pain is wrapped up in past childhood experiences, then so be it. And we need to help people kind of, you know, work their way through all of that. And when they do, they feel better and their pain can go away. Right. Can I go on to another one? Um, I wanted to ask you, or I am going to ask you about um, circumcision. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Bef- when, when, when I went to research um, men's um, pelvic pain, MJ, it led me down the path. I've been doing this for months for January. So I have spent quite a bit of time watching different, um, and actually it's up on our website. Okay. There's a, um, a show on uh, TED Talks, I think it is, that Kelly and I put up on circumcision. And um, some in, in one of those ones that I watched, one of the documentaries, there's a psychologist talking about the amount of damage that's been done to the male psyche from circumcision. Is it the idea that we always assume that boys or babies wouldn't necessarily feel pain in that moment? Well, and we know, they, and that they feel more pain than we thought they did. That's right. Okay, we yeah, know they do, we know they, they do, do feel, feel pain. pain. Yeah. Uh, we know that there's no anesthetic being used at the time. Yeah. Um, we know that it's an unnecessary surgery. Yeah. We know that almost all over the world, they're not. It's not done on men anymore, and that uh, it is done hugely in the United States. There's an idea too that there's a lack of like cleanliness in <clears> men, <throat> you know, and cleaning around the glands of the penis and all that. Yeah, it's interesting because that's come out in the last few years. And and yeah, who knows? Is that something that could affect some men and, uh, and whatnot? Um, I have had some men make comment about increased sensitivity at the tip of the penis because the foreskin isn't there. So think of the foreskin almost like a, a protector. The glands of the penis is like the clitoris in women. It's extremely sensitive. And so I've had a few men ask me, you know, because I don't have that skin over top to protect it, could that make it that the tip of the penis gets more extra sensitive? Or even I've had some men say, I don't really feel a lot anymore. Lack of sensitivity. And I'd say yes to either or. Because really, if you think of our clitoris, we actually have a hood over our clitoris. And it's there to protect from extra friction. And because it's such a sensitive, sensitive. So the, the clitoris and the tip of the penis is the same tissues, from the embryon and so if you remove the foreskin yeah that for some men that could be an issue well you're there in one of the studies it says there's there's between 10 and twenty thousand nerve endings oh yeah i mean the genitalia is rich in nerve endings right and and so yes the idea that we were doing them thinking that babies didn't feel pain you know when we look back we think oh my goodness how horrible of a concept that is and then doing them later in life too yep yeah and doing them later in life now some men do have to get circumcised later in life if they had like an infection and scar tissue and sometimes they do have to remove it because of of, of you know any trauma to that area so that can happen but there's a good medical reason for it but to do it for any other reason you know and again we have to be respectful of some of the religious beliefs that are out there that um you know creates do we do we have to be respectful of mutilation well it's hard it's a fine line i I agree it's hard but you know it's it's kind of meeting people halfway you know because people still to this day believe to their core of their being and I think sometimes we have to maybe gently nudge those beliefs, but in a kind way, right? So well, I always tell people, you know, where this idea of circumcision or, or whatever it may be, where is that coming from? You know, where does that belief come from? Oh, I've been told and this is my religion and these are my beliefs, you know. And 
again, it's, 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 we can change some of those thought process, I think gently and with time and with open dialogue, hopefully open dialogue between both sides that we can kind of debate. Is it something that we need to do medically? Does it make sense nowadays to do these things? You know, it's, it's hard. It's challenging because when we're talking about religion well, and yeah, belief and, and culture, it's really difficult. I think about the petitions on yeah. Avaraz of yeah. all of the, the female genitalia mutilations mm. that were happening. And people were in uproar about that, thinking yeah. we're a progressive society. You know, we yeah. would never do that over here, but we're doing it to our men. I know. I know. It's hard. And, and we're to arguing that shift in for another country to yeah. stop doing it to their women. Yeah. It's a shift in, in thinking. And I think the TED Talks that are out there are great. Us talking about it are great us challenging people but I, like I said I challenge in a kind way right I challenge in a way that I'm not kind of bullying into your belief you know and and just very gently saying well you know what we do have research that shows that babies do feel pain you know we do have research that shows that having the skin over the tip of the penis is actually quite important we do have research and kind of nudging that way you know and having people time maybe make a, a change in their decision making based on that and like anything else it takes time right it takes time to do this you know and sometimes it's legislated by governments that's right exactly it, it isn't it. gentle it yeah. is an absolute law yeah um, and many of the countries all over the world have actually made it illegal mm-hmm. so there you're you're right about some yeah in, in perhaps and yeah. Some countries have actually flat out said this is illegal exactly. and it is mutilation. But uh, can we go on to another one then? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I, w- I also wanted to ask about erectile dysfunction. Okay. Um, oh, go ahead. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. Because we were talking about sessions. Um, when you're doing an internal exam for a male, yes. do they risk having an erection during their session? Well, I mean, oh. if they do, if they do, I won't know because what I usually get my men to do is that they have an extra sheet mm-hmm. to basically gently, gently lift up their penis kind of out of the way so I can do an internal exam. And so if they did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't know what's happening. So, and I always okay. make a point of saying like I've had men ask me that and I said, no, it's completely normal. First of all, because it's a bit of a reflex. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and I won't know because I can't see it. So, okay. And I love being able to have that out there because yeah, if, if this, that's a big worry for men, yeah, like, oh my goodness, and if this is know? the show they're listening to, to feel educated and comfortable, yeah, yeah. then You're there you go. Completely covered up. Like I said, we're not looking at the genitalia and I wouldn't know if you have one or not. Oh, I, okay. I want to ask another question then for any men that are thinking that, you know, all down this road, MJ, and it might be their first time to call and, and look into an appointment with a, a pelvic physio. Is it just the two of you in the room or because when you go to some other appointments, it's necessary by law, like when a doctor is doing um, a pap, by law, they have to have a female in the room present. So is it just you and your client? It's just me and the client, but they are always welcome to have anybody in the room with them if they're A, for comfort, support or anything like that. And I think it's different because I'm a female practitioner, right? So we're not, there's no, we have to have somebody in the room but we ask people if they would prefer having their loved one in the room with them. And I often have the spouses in the room at the same time. And that's fine because that gives me a chance to speak to both of them as well. Then another question right along on that, whether it's a spouse or whether it's a mom or a dad. Absolutely. Or, or, a, guard, or, or a guardian. It could be same sex partners. It, could okay. be, it doesn't matter. Anybody can be, if you want that person, that your person to be in the room, your person is allowed to be in the room. And... Do you educate the person, their, their person, so that if they have to do some of the stretches at home or something, oh, sure. that that they understand and that their partner, parent, uh, person, whatever, um, can kind of be there to remind them of what you've been saying or doing? To remind them and to also be an active participant if they so choose to and if they're comfortable with that. And again, everybody has a different comfort level, but um, more often than not, people are the partners are usually very supportive and really do want to help their partners get through whatever problem they're having. And so they're often very willing to help out. And so, yeah, and I'll say anybody can be in the room. So for children, their parents can be in the room, uh, you know, and like I said, for partners, you know, all partners are welcome in the room for their comfort level. But I would say, you know, a vast majority of the time I'm by myself and, and that's okay. That's fine. And again, the difference being me being a female practitioner, I guess if I was a male practitioner, maybe there would be 
again, that wanting of having somebody else in the room. Uh, so yeah, so it's, uh, again, it's, it's up to the patient's comfort, what we do in behind closed doors. Yeah. Okay. So about erectile dysfunction, okay. is it an issue at all for a pelvic physiotherapist? It is. So erectile dysfunction is complex because there's a lot of, a lot of things that have to happen for a man to have an erection. So by the, if I have a man who comes to see me with any kind of erectile issues, by the time they've seen me, all the medical reasons for erectile dysfunction has been cleared, meaning that if you have a heart problems, that can affect your ability to have an erection. If you have diabetes, that can affect your ability to have an erection. Certain medications that you might be taking could affect your ability to have an erection. So all of that has to be sorted out, you know, medically before they're sent to me. The vast majority of men that I see that have erectile dysfunction, it's because they've had prostate cancer and they're, when their prostate got removed because they'll have to actually surgically remove the prostate to eliminate the cancer, depending on how significant the cancer was and how much surgery the surgeon had to do, that can affect some of the nerves that are important for um, sexual function for men and they can end up with some erectile issues post-cancer. Um, if you've had radiation and things like that, of your prostate that can also affect your ability to have an erection as well so what we do is remember those pelvic floor muscles are important because if they're strong they keep the blood in the penis which is the blood in the penis that keeps you erect if those muscles are weak and not working as well as they should then that can affect your ability to have a really good strong erection so what we do in that case is try to strengthen those muscles to help main men maintain an erection and that often has to happen along with a little bit of medication. So Cialis or Viagra is something that will be commonly um, given to men after they've had prostate cancer because we want to improve blood flow. What Viagra and Cialis do is increases blood flow to the penis. So surgeons now are recommending that a lot after surgery to try to maintain good erections. And if we add that, the pelvic floor exercises to strengthen the pelvic floor muscles, that can really help men regain some erectile function as well. So that's the most common, you know, cause. But like I said, it gets complex because if on top of that, they have diabetes and on top of that, they have uh, a heart disease, it gets complex in treatment because all of those little bits and parts have to be treated as well. So again, it goes back to working as a team to try to sort out why men are having erectile dysfunction. But we're part of that. We're part of that as well as physios. Absolutely. When a man has had his prostate removed, can he still experience an orgasm through anal sex? Yes, but it might be a little different. Would it be more difficult? It might be, again, because it's Or not, take more time, I should say. It could be. And again, I don't think there's a, a heart set rule because there's so many other things that create sensation during intercourse, whether it's, you know, you know, standard you know, intercourse versus anal intercourse, you know, your pelvic floor muscles give you sensation when you're having intercourse. Yes, your prostate occupies a bit of space. So that gives a bit of feedback to a man, right? When they're having anal intercourse, absolutely. Um, but it doesn't mean they can't, right? Because if their muscles are in great shape and they've got good tone, they'll still have great sensation with intercourse as well. So well, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. There's always mm -hmm. possibilities. There's always room for improvement for any sexual function, however that looks for a couple Right. And uh, yeah, and we can work through a lot of that, you know, in, with with a lot of the exercises that we do to increase that strength in those pelvic floor muscles. So again, you know, if we go back to if you've got too much tension, then our job is to help relax that tension. But if you don't have enough tension, then we want to strengthen those muscles. And that happens in both men and women for different reasons. This is something that I found so incredible about what you could do when you could do an internal check for me and say, well, that's tension and that's too relaxed mm -hmm. and help me identify what a muscle feels like when it's tense and to be able internally. Mm -hmm. It's hard though, because you can't see it. So it's not easy for everyone to learn to feel kind of something happening on the inside of your body, but people can. And eventually they'll say, you know what? I didn't realize how much when I sit all day at my office and at my desk, how much I clench my pelvic floor. And the nice thing is when you realize that you do it, you can change it. I don't know 
if we even did this already in one of the podcasts, but I, when I'm referring to you in sessions, I will often try and get them to visualize when they're in the car uh, because there's that um, tensing the foot, right? So it goes up the the leg. So when they're thinking about braking or or pushing on the gas, and then when they're sitting at a red light and they have the opportunity to relax the left leg, right? Uh, Because the right one's still engaged. They can really see the difference between the sides of the body Mm -hmm. and then understand what one is doing and when one isn't. Absolutely. And it's hard. And a lot of people don't really understand what tension feels like, right? And it really don't, even on the outside of their body, you know? You can kind of say, you know, do you, do you see that your shoulders are all the way up to your ears <laughs> and that's why you have a headache? And the people say no and you'll put them in front of the mirror. You go, okay, so look at how high your shoulders. Okay, now drop your shoulders down. They go, ah, oh. right? We're not aware. I think part of that is that we're so busy. We're a little bit disconnected from our bodies, you know, uh, lots of stress. So we don't check in with our bodies, you know, and, and, and so that, that's a problem. So Again, when people feel that's my pain, you found my my pain or the source of my pain, and then you give them cues to kind of check in with their body, they can get really good and go, I do, I clench my pelvic floor, I didn't know, but now I know how to let go of that tension and I know how to stretch it now. And I realize that when I'm stressed or when I'm anxious, it gets really, really tight and then I know what to do in that moment and that helps them get control over their pain, which is really great. It, you've said beautifully what I was just hoping to get to, I think, when I said that when you touched a certain muscle and said, well, that's tense, that I needed another person, that I needed you. I needed a different person to be able to just hold the finger there and go, can you feel it? And it's not just the point of contact of where can I feel your finger? It's do I feel my own muscle? And to be able to pinpoint someone's pain that somebody says to you that is my pain that's where I've been trying to tell doctors it hurts because it's deep inside let's say it validates right and you go oh my god I'm not going crazy I'm not losing my mind I can actually have pain in there down there deep inside there and and that validation is really is really key and and then when we validate then we can change it right And it's a muscle. It's no different than any other muscle of your body. A muscle that's tense can learn to relax. We just have to figure out a way to help you do that. I think my head goes immediately too to MJ when you said that about how deep it is in the body. Mm -hmm. And I think about how deep it is, how we feel when we're hurt emotionally and how those two really do connect. And I noticed, or not noticed, but it, it became super evident to me in working with you that you'd be sitting in one muscle and holding it for, you know, five or 10 minutes, all the different thoughts that I'd have that would come and you'd say, no, what are you thinking? You you would just check me. Well, where are you, Karen? And I would just blurt out, well, you know, when I was eight years old and all of a sudden this memory would come up with all these emotions to it. And you would just be sitting there letting me chat. And then all of a sudden as we're chatting and I'm finishing my story, my story, yeah. you're like, okay, now I can move. And the muscle would, would have yeah. let go at that point. Yeah. It brings up a lot of, of, it can bring out a lot of emotion in some people. It can bring out a lot of memories in some people. I've had people that, you know, when we're working on a muscle that's particularly tense, that it's not unusual to see their body start to shake sometimes, you know, and it's interesting the different types of reactions that you can get when you're working on a part of the body that's been maybe tense for a long time and if it's wrapped up in past experiences and past trauma even more so and again it goes back to what we were saying just letting people talk and process is as much part of the therapy than what I'm doing even right and you know I would say I'm proud of maybe more of a catalyst than anything else because I'm just letting your body do what it hasn't been able to do and it's to let go let go Whatever it is that you have, it's learning to let go of that. And and that can be a pretty powerful experience for some people and very cathartic for, for some. Well, I know you stress letting go and I, I know how big that is because I work with you as well. But I think one of the things that you said that was most important was process because men specifically are taught to push through, power through, man up, whatever those terms are that become this toxic idea of masculinity. And you're talking about letting them be heard, Yep. letting them felt or feel validated That's right. and then having the time to sit and process those things like you say over a number of sessions and then actually be able to finally let go yeah. and that's not something that we encourage 
No, and we don't. And we start that at a very young age with boys. Eh? You don't cry and, you know, don't, don't whine, don't cry and be tough, be a man. And, and, and that's a big problem. And so it would be difficult for an adult man then to be able to express really what they feel. And it is not an easy conversation for some men to have. Uh, but when they have the opportunity, I'm always really you know pleased at how well they're willing to open up. I think finally to be able to be heard, and and my job is just to listen. And I always say, so people often apologize. It's interesting. People will often open up and then apologize for having opened up. And and I'll always say, you know, in in these four walls, in this room, there is no judgment. You can tell me anything you want to tell me, and I will never judge, or you know, or anything like that. Because who am I to judge? you know, it's your experience. It's however you experience it. I'm not going to judge you on that. I remember opening up in one of the sessions and then thinking, she's not a psychologist. What am I doing? And probably apologizing at that point and then thinking, well, the bed I'm lying on is kind of leather. Yeah. And that's kind of the image that people portray (laughs) like a a leather couch. Um, I also wanted to say like the, the whole idea of manning up and a lot of these issues affecting sex. Um, you know, you did talk about pain radiating up and down the back and up and down the legs, but specifically with sex, men think they're supposed to be good at it and perform and be on. Uh, and that, I think that's a big area where they try and push through too. Uh, and think, you know, I know as a woman, I was taught that anything that happened during sex was pleasurable for a man. Mm. Not anything he did, anything you did was pleasurable and that it was harder for a woman to be touched and feel, feel, uh, good. But that's not true. You're talking about all the pain that they can experience during sex and and after. It is so devastating for my men when they are unable to have any pleasurable, pain-free sexual performance, whether it's intercourse with a partner, however we define that, or masturbation or anything like that, which is all normal. And when they can't do that, it is devastating because they're really not going to talk about this to their friends, right? No, I mean, and, at all. And know? even some partners, they don't want to turn and be like, I need to stop. It hurts. That's right. And and, and forget even maybe talking to their, their doctors about that again, right? A bit more barriers for men. So I often will be the one who brings it up, right? Now, if they're coming to see me for pain and they'll say, I, you know, I feel that golf ball on my rectum. It hurts when I sit. I'll say, you know what? For some men too, what this does, it causes a lot of pain with intercourse. So some of my men will say, I can't have an erection, it hurts too much, or it hurts at the tip of my penis when I masturbate. I say, you know, is that anything that's happening as well? You know, is that something that you've encountered? So I'll open that up because a lot of men don't necessarily want to talk about that. ED, like erectile dysfunction, is is even more challenging because some men just say, oh God, I'm, I'm getting old, you know, and this is part of aging. And really there's treatment available, right? There's, there's lots of treatment available. And, uh, and again, it's, it's very challenging. Again, they don't want to talk to their wives about it. They don't necessarily bring it up to their doctor. Um, so that's a very challenging conversation for them to have as well. Is it accurate that it's part of aging? Yeah. Uh, not necessarily. No, because I think if you're very healthy, if you've have you know, a good diet and you exercise, you don't have any heart problems, you don't have diabetes and, you know, and, uh, you're cancer free, you know, yeah, no, you're going to have good erectile function for a long time. So it's important to stay healthy. It's important to, uh, get checked out and make sure that you don't have any heart disease and diabetes or anything like that. Because again, you can totally prevent this from happening as well. Cancer is cancer. I mean, that can happen to anybody, but uh, again, there's treatment available for that. But what I'm hearing in, in what you're saying is there's no reason to accept your no pain. No reason to accept. Yeah, exactly. Just like we shouldn't accept as women that just because we have kids, it's normal to have incontinence, right? It's, it happens. And yes, it's because we've had kids, but there's effects. We can help women with that. So we shouldn't tolerate uh, poor bladder function and poor sexual function and pelvic pain, you know, just because. And it's the same thing for men, again. But we, the doctors need to have a bit more of an open conversation. When men go for their checkup, men should go for their checkup. When men do go for checkups, <laughs> uh, when men do go for their checkups, it should be asked, you know, are you having any difficulty with erectile function? You know, that should be a question that should be ask but that's a difficult question for doctors to ask they don't they don't feel comfortable sometimes asking those types of questions in their medical exams 
Yeah. That needs to change as well. I even think to the pap tests and the physicals. I'm not asked what my orientation is, my sexual orientation. Nope. You won't be asked if you have pain with intercourse. I'm not asked what type of sex I'm engaging in. So he has no idea, My he being the doctor, has no idea if I'm engaging in vaginal or anal sex and what what's happening to my muscles no there and and again that's part of of training that we have to change and when I get that I get medical students who come and spend a a half a day with me from the northern Ontario school of medicine and one of the things that I try to teach the medical students is you know while you're doing a pap exam why don't you ask just a couple of little key questions especially if you see somebody's uncomfortable while you're doing the exam you know, I can see that you're really uncomfortable with the pap. You know, do you have any other symptoms? Do you have any pain with intercourse? That does happen, you know, and there's treatment for that. If you're going to do a rectal exam on a man, because we got to do a prostate check, which is really important for men to go to, to screen for prostate cancer. If you see that they're more uncomfortable than they should be, or even if they're comfortable and all is well, ask the questions. You know, again, it takes a few seconds to just ask a couple of good questions to at least then send them to the right people quickly so that they're not going on for years with discomfort and pain and not talking about it. And I think, again, that's all going to keep improving over time as we improve education and and whatnot. And um, yeah, it's just work to be improved upon. But we'll get there. MJ, thank you. We've been looking forward to this for over a month. Um, we, we appreciate your time again uh, and all of the expertise. We've been so excited to educate men and educate women um, about men's issues because right. we also know, unfortunately, but also fortunately, that women are a lot of the reasons that men finally get in Absolutely. or go to see a doctor. Yeah. They get pushed to a point. Um, and hopefully just with more education circulating, That's both right. men and women are okay to, to have yeah. better conversations. Absolutely. Whether it's with sons or partners or, you know, Whomever. brothers yeah. as well. Absolutely. So we appreciate My it. My pleasure. If you have any questions, um, we always welcome listeners to email us at info at bysarlo.com. And we will put up your information on the on the website, MJ, so people can reach you. Perfect. That they can also find a, phys- a pelvic physiotherapist or, or at least a link to finding one. Absolutely. Um, and we look forward to having you back for yet another show if, if you'll come back I'd and continue. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Thank you. Mm-hmm.